This episode of All Have Another Podcast is brought to you by Prep Dish. You guys, Prep Dish was my first sponsor ever on this show over a year ago, so I'm super excited to have them back. Love what they're doing over at Prep Dish. Allison is a dietitian who had a passion for making your life easier when she created Prep Dish. So what Prep Dish is, is it's a healthy subscription-based meal planning service. When you sign up, you receive an email every week with a grocery list and instructions for prepping your meals ahead of time. It only takes about one to three hours to prep on the weekend, and then you have your meals ready to go for the entire week. Her grocery list she gives you is very organized per section in the grocery store, so it's simple to do. You'll save time and you'll have amazingly delicious meals like smoky paprika chicken legs and a trio of roasted vegetable or turkey and zucchini lasagna. So Allison over at Prep Dish wants you to save time and she is offering listeners of the show a free two-week trial to try it out. You can't beat that. So check out PrepDish.com slash another for this deal. Again, that's PrepDish.com slash another and get your first two weeks free. Thank you, Prep Dish, for supporting this podcast episode. All right, you guys, today you're listening to episode 105 and I'm talking with Aretha Thurmond. I met Aretha when I interviewed the COO of USA Track and Field, Renee Washington, and Renee told me that Aretha would be an amazing guest on the show, and she was right. Aretha is a four-time Olympian in the discus. She is the mother of one, and she now works for USA Track and Field as the director of international teams. She is so fun and spunky, and we had a great time talking about her career as an athlete and what that looked like in her career now as well. Also being a single mom and you guys, she competed in a national championship just 17 days after giving birth. Pretty amazing. You're gonna love this conversation with Aretha. And this episode is also brought to you by Bissell Bark Bath. Bathing your dog is a huge pain and in winter, it's hard to clean up outside. It causes messy bathroom and cleanup is a pain. The Bissell Bark Bath allows pet parents like me to bathe their pet with virtually no mess, eliminating the inevitable cleanup that comes along with washing your four-legged pet. So Bissell sent me a bark bath and it's an all-in-one system that can be used in any room in the house. I have used it in the living room twice now, I'm getting kind of obsessive. And the bark bath works with any fur length of hair and uses a no-rinse shampoo. That is key, my friends, a no-rinse shampoo. It's specially designed nozzles get beneath the fur and down to the skin, the true source of the stink. And what's even cooler is that Bark Bath uses less than 48 ounces of water to clean up pets up to 80 pounds, compared to the traditional bathing in a tub, which uses up to 19 gallons of water. You guys, our dog's getting old. She's 10, Cadence, I love her so much. And this is a super easy way to keep your dog clean. Get yourself a Bissell Bark Bath. Make your life easier. Go to Bissell.com slash another to learn more and buy your very own Bark Bath. And when you use the coupon code ANOTHER, all caps, you'll receive two bottles of free no-rinse shampoo with your order. This coupon code is good for a limited time only. All right, you guys, enjoy my conversation with Aretha. Did that just, did we just coin that? Did that just happen? We just coined it. <laughs> so we're down here at the USA Track and Field offices once again, talking with Aretha Thurmond. And what did we just coin it? Uh, coffee with Lindsay. Coffee with Lindsay. <laughs> I was just explaining to Aretha uh, the conversation style of the podcast, and she just had a new tagline for me. Yeah, I mean, why not? Coffee with Lindsay. Yeah, it's warm and cozy. 
So Aretha and I met when I came down to the offices to interview Renee Washington, mm-hmm. the COO. Thought I was going to say that wrong. <laughs> so Aretha is a four-time Olympian in yes. the discus, and you also work for USA Track and Field now. Yes, in my current role, I'm director of international teams. Okay, so... I, I don't know what that means, so you have to explain I know. that. What does that mean? What's what's beautiful about it is the teams that I used to be on. Okay. Now I oversee. Okay. So um, uh, fun experiences. 2012, I went into the Olympics as an athlete, and in 2016, I went in as team leader. So what we're doing behind the scenes, right? Making sure entries are done, selection procedures, uniforming, flights are booked, housing arrangements are made. You know, fun stuff. Oh yeah. <laughs> Fun stuff that was being taken care of for you when you were the athlete. Right? Yeah. I didn't know how much was being done. Right. I do now. Now you could really be thankful for all (laughs) those years. So tell us about your career a little bit as a discus thrower, though, because from what I know is you didn't really pick up a discus till a little bit later, right? Yeah, correct. I had a PE teacher who saw something in me, Mr. Stewart, and uh, harassed me all year to come out for track and field and throw the discus. He was the head track and field coach. Um, And I was honest with him. I don't know what a discus is. I don't know what you're trying to get me to do. I'm going to play softball. So about a couple days before it was time to sign up for the spring sport, I had just finished playing basketball for the the high school, he challenged me to a game of basketball, one-on-one. If I won, I could play softball. But if I lost, I had to turn out for track and lost the bet and turned out for track. And you were good. Well, I didn't know I was good. Um, I went out there in my, you know, basketball high top tennis shoes, threw the discus, got second in state, and the softball second in state. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, right. And then the softball team didn't win a game, and my basketball team kind of struggled a little bit. My volleyball team kind of struggled a little bit. So I kind of found like something I could win at. I didn't know if I was good, but I did know that I liked winning. Okay, so where did you live at the time? That was in Seattle, Washington. So born and, and raised okay. in Seattle, Washington. I mean, getting second in state yeah. is a big deal. <laughs> yeah, I, I realize that now. I yeah. think at the time, though, I didn't I didn't know, but I did know something special was happening. Yeah. Because I was like, this is this is kind of cool. Like, yeah. I, I like this. Well, I, I think I'll keep doing this. Yeah, so you were 14 when you started. Okay, so you win state. Yep. What year did you win state? The next year. So, so then as a, sophomore, as a sophomore, junior and senior. All three years. All three years. And then I think I picked up a title in the shot put too. Okay. And you won. <laughs> you won. Yeah. Okay. So after that, you go to school. Yep. I was offered a scholarship to the University of Washington. Okay. Um, I actually was going to go everywhere but Washington. Okay. Um, once I found out, once I found out I was throwing far enough to earn a scholarship and could go to different schools. So I took all these visits. Went to all these different universities, but I fell in love once I got to the University of Washington with the program and the coach that was there. And uh, that's that's kind of how I ended up there. Well, and did you want to leave? Because I feel like we all want to leave where we're from to like go try something big and new. Of course, like yeah. I, and, and you know Seattle, it's the rainy state. It's yeah. great, and I used to sit there in these wet, cold practices, you mm. know, with my coach, and he was like, "Yeah, one day you'll be thrown in the sunshine year round." <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Like we dreamed, you dream about getting away from that, but it actually turned out obviously to be in my best interest to to stay and, and be in the program. Okay, so people love Seattle, though. Why do people yeah. love Seattle if it's so rainy? all the time well because it's only rainy in the winter time okay a little anytime you're in the northern hemisphere right you're going to get a little more rain a little more gray but man summer spring beautiful i I've mean just been. snow-capped mountains green trees yeah. you're surrounded by water i mean it it is beautiful 
I don't know how else to describe it. It's just beautiful. Do you still have family that lives there? I do have some family that lives there, a lot of extended family. I've got aunts and, and uncles and cousins and folks that I spent a lot of time and grew up with that are still there. Okay, so after college, when did you go professional? So essentially, right after college, I, I decided to keep throwing. I was able to sort of kind of get involved with the small track club at the time and found a cool little part-time job that supported what I was doing. And um, so that was in 1998 and everything was going great until 2000 when I got to the trials and I was fourth. Mm. And then that's when I was like, okay, what does it really mean to be a professional? Do I have, did I do everything possible to make that team, mm -hmm. the team that I missed? Um, I know, right? Four livers, and I, I missed one. Dang well, it. I know. I'm like, man, you went to four, and you, you went. So you went to five trials, then. Yeah. So yeah, I, yeah but I missed. I missed the 2000 uh, team that went to Sydney, okay. and so that's kind of when I reevaluated, and I would say that's probably when I said, okay, what do I need to do? What kind of support system? What kind of coaching system do I need? Because my college coach had retired mm -hmm. when I graduated. So I was kind of trying to figure it out, like, all right, how do I, how do I keep throwing? And, um, and were you sponsored yet at that point? Yeah, I had, like a, like I said, that's when I was, I was throwing with a small club. Oh, a small club. And okay. they don't exist anymore. So it was US West. It was a telephone company. Okay. And they had like a track club. It was really cool. And so you worked part-time for the phone company. Okay. And then you had the club support sure. to help pay for meets okay. and, and that type of stuff. And so a couple things happened at the same time. I missed making the team, and then the company no longer was US West, they were becoming Quest, so Quest had a new vision, they weren't gonna keep the club, so I was like, all right, I gotta redo my life. Yeah. And then I finally packed up and left Seattle, headed south. And where'd you go? I started first, spent a year in Knoxville, Tennessee. Okay. I went there, obviously I wanted to go for warmer weather. I was trying to find, Getting away from the rain. I got to get out the Northwest. <laughs> let's just be honest. Um, so I wanted some warmer weather. Um, went out there, was was there for a year. Tennessee went through a coaching change after one year. So that meant I needed to find a coach again. And so... Um, How does I, one do that? Yeah, so I... I called up some folks and said, hey, who are some of the best throws coaches right now that are that are coaching post-collegiate athletes? And so I called them up and had some phone conversations with them and kind of had my list. I went down at first to University of Georgia to meet with Coach Babbitt. He was down there at the time, and he had a large group of professional throwers, right, um, that I knew and grew up with. Um, and so as I went and met with that group, I went over to Auburn, met with Coach Clayton. He had a couple of professionals that kind of he had in, in his group. And I thought about maybe going out to the Olympic Training Center. At the time, though, the Olympic Training Center was going through a coaching change, and I didn't know who was going to be there. And so it was, who was going to be the best fit? And so I felt like Coach Clayton was the best fit, uh, packed up and moved to Auburn, Alabama. <laughs> You've been everywhere. I've been everywhere, yes. Well, it's just, and it's just showing those of us who aren't professional athletes or haven't been, like, that you really have to put the work in to find the coach, and, like, you're not necessarily just, like, oh, this is where I landed. You, no, you've got to figure it out. Like, you've yeah. got to know which coach makes the best sense for you, which which area, which region, an agent if you're going to sign with one, like, because um, it is, it is about relationships that you know you're going to work well in because you're choosing them now. It's not like you're being necessarily recruited, perhaps, like, maybe it might have been going into college. Yeah. So, so then you land with him mm -hmm. at... Where did you say Auburn? Yep, Auburn. And who's the coach? Jerry Clayton. Okay, Jerry Clayton. Yeah. So you make the 2004 team? Yes. Okay. So by the time we get connected, yes, we make the 2004, 8, and 12 together. That's a lot of teams. Yeah. <laughs> so then who did who were you with in 2000? Wait, 2000. I was on my own. 
I spent a year in in, Knox, in Knoxville. Okay. So there was no. They, I made a world team. Yeah. And then I went down there and I made all my teams. The rest of my teams with Coach. Two thousand four, two thousand eight, two thousand twelve. Yeah, I was there. Two thousand sixteen. Yes, and then all the teams in between, right? Okay. You know the world teams and the Pan yeah. Am teams, and you know it's funny <laughs> though because and I've learned a lot about this from hosting this podcast, mm-hmm. but most of the world just or us average athletes just look at the Olympics and. I've learned so much about these world teams and IAF and, you know, you know, like the first, one of the first uh, girls I interviewed on this podcast as a professional athlete, Molly Ludlow, Mm -hmm. I said, what are your top four biggest accomplishments? And she had all these IAF, you know, accomplishments. And I just, I didn't even know. Yeah. It's, there's a whole nother, like, I guess, uh, world out there of athletics that when you're involved in the sport and you kind of know the circuit. And the realm of events that are covered um, for for us that are in the sport, the level of competition and the playing field between a world championships and Olympic games is no different. Yeah. The title of the event is different, right? And the rarity, because yeah. the Olympics are only every four years, but the field of women that I would throw against at the Olympic games is the same field I'm throwing against at uh, a world championships sure. and possibly the same on the circuit, yeah. which it wasn't the diamond league when I was throwing the, oh, yeah. the, you know, it was a different, it's gone through like four or five different names, but, um, but yeah, that for me was even one of my biggest accomplishments was making it to what was then the world athletic final, uh, in 2003 and throwing, you know, over 65 meters in Monaco, which is now one of my favorite stadiums. Cause whenever you go and have a you know, great performance right. and stuff. And to be second to the field that was there, it was all of the medalists from that world. And so I, I almost beat all of them. Yeah. You know, and so like that was huge. But people may not know about it because it wasn't the Olympic the Olympics. Games. What year was that? Uh, 2003. I feel like that's a, pl- yeah. a favorite place for a lot of athletes. It's a beautiful place. Yeah. It's a nice stadium. It's got good vibe. You're on the water. Maybe I feel like I'm at like a little bit of Seattle when I'm there. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and any girl I've talked to that's uh, run there, they, I feel like they always say the track feels really fast. It might. It might. I See, I, I don't get to spend much time on the track. You don't run around. I try, but, you know, they kick me, <laughs> kick me off to make I go play in the grass. <laughs> so tell me, um, what year did you have your son, give birth to your son? Yeah, so I gave birth to my son June of 2007. Okay, so you've been to two Olympics at that point. Yes. Okay, so let's talk about that experience and and you have you did something really major 19 days later yeah so um obviously I was I was at kind of like peak of my game probably in 2006 and wanted to try to you know start a family and and was fortunate enough to to uh to get pregnant and start the family it wasn't quite the window that I wanted so that you can plan and then things happen right like um and so um I was like, well, we'll see. If he comes early enough, I, I think I can make the comeback. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just didn't know. So I trained the whole entire pregnancy. Okay. Um, I made sure to work with my doctor. I don't really know if he knew exactly what I did when I said that I lift weights and throw things. Did he know that you were an Olympian? He did, but I still don't think it really... The magnitude? I don't think it really resonated because it's funny. This is pre-social media. Sure. I wish kind of social media was around because we had so many funny clips of me doing hurdle hops and sprints <laughs> and I was still doing my power cleans and squats and throwing and yeah. I really didn't stop. So be, because I was able to have that type of a pregnancy, right? I had a uh-huh. great pregnancy where I could train the whole time, stay in really great shape. I was strong yeah. even after delivery. Um, I had a great delivery, um, natural childbirth. And so oh, gosh. 
I've had three kids. I just, anybody that says they go natural, I'm like, Whew. Well, you know, I learned something, and that's kind of how I was able to throw so fast okay. after. I understood that if you did the epidural, there's a chance that the numbness could linger. Mm. And I didn't want to be numb. I know it sounds really crazy, but I didn't want to be numb in my legs. Yeah. Right? And it's so a was, really freaky feeling. And, and plus, you had goals. And I had some goals, right? <laughs> I was like, no, I'm going to go throw. I mean, got national championships coming up in a few weeks yeah. after. And so it, I kind of like just worked with myself casually. A couple days after childbirth, I started with some plate twists, you know, kind of felt like I was doing pretty good. And I went out and had a throwing session. And I was like, I, I think I still threw over like 55 meters. And I was like, all right, I'm going. Yeah. So... So did you, you took him with you? T- packed him I mean, up. he was like 19 days old. He was two weeks old. Two weeks old. So by the time we left, uh, he was probably 13 days old. So when I threw, he was only 17 days old. Oh so my So took my newborn baby. We jumped on a plane. This was like, security still was like unsure about me traveling with my, with my milk because oh, I had pumped. Sure. I had yeah. some emergency oh, milk because yeah. I didn't know what I was going to be getting into and they tried to take it from me. Uh-uh. No, that uh-uh. wasn't going to happen. Nope. So we had to have that battle. Uh, but finally, actually, the championships were here in Indianapolis. Okay. So got here to Indianapolis, got in the hotel room, put the milk in the fridge just in case. And it was a funny competition because I get out there and now I got to figure out how to warm up. So I was like, huh. I think I thought this through really well because I got the baby with me. We're at the stadium. Wait, did, was anybody else with you? Well, yeah, I mean, like friends of mine who were here yeah. at the track meet, like but you like know, you just show up at the stadium with your yeah, baby. yeah, two week old. Yeah, and so, um, so I get to the warm up track. I nurse him real quick for both him and me. Yeah, right. Trying to lighten my load. <laughs> Hand him off to my friend Kristen because she had thrown the shot earlier. So I really was waiting for someone who was she was done competing. Yeah. <laughs> so gave her the baby. <laughs> Here you go. Here you go. Went out there, competed. She sat up in the stands, watched. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, and, uh, and he slept the whole entire time. And I think I actually ended up like fifth at that championships. And I was like literally half a meter off of making the team. Were you a zombie? Like, were you so tired? I, you know, I think it was kind of like, I think I was just rolling on adrenaline. Yeah. Right? Just the high of just having had the baby and being the new mom. And I don't think I had a chance to stop and think that I might be tired. Yeah. Like, you just... You keep going. Yeah. Well, and looking back to, I mean, actually having a newborn in a <laughs> setting like that is technically easier than having like a nine-month-old who's like trying to crawl everywhere. Right, and get some places. Exactly. No, he just slept in the stands, you know, in a friend's arms, and I was able to compete. And then after the meet was over, I took him back, and then we just walked around and enjoyed the track meet and cheered everybody on. Do you think most people knew, like your competitors knew, that you had like Oh, my my competitors knew and they were mad at me, right? Because I almost won that day. And I mean, I was not that far off. And they were like, you're sick. Yeah. (laughs) So tell me this then. You had a natural childbirth. Is that the most pain you've ever been in? Yeah, I would say so, yes. Yeah. I mean, and you deal with stuff in, as an athlete, right? right. And it's, no, there's, I tell there's nothing like it, but I think it also, I'm stronger because of it. Yeah. Like it definitely, as, as having gone through that and then gone back into sport, back into training, mm-hmm. I definitely had a new training threshold. Yeah. Oh, sure. That I didn't know I had before. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've never done natural childbirth, but I, I've been on record saying this. I've probably said it multiple times on this podcast. When the contractions got bad before my epidural, I, I would remember always telling myself, and I'm a marathoner, marathons are easy yeah. compared to this. Like, well, 
You yeah. know, this pain is just unbelievable. It was, and you know, it was one of those where you, you don't know how to get comfortable, yeah. right? Like you, you don't know how, like yeah. you can't, like which way. And I remember thinking like, oh, I really got to go pee. Yeah. And I got to the bathroom and I just sat there, you know, for our listeners on the podcast. I'm just sitting <laughs> on the toilet and I was like, oh, this is so comfortable. Uh-huh. <laughs> like it was like, I finally found my comfort spot and the nurse was like, you can't stay in you there. Can't stay on there. I was like, well, why can't I? You know, come back. And like by the time I got back, I same point. She was like, I was like, oh, I think I'm ready. And she was like, no, no, you have to wait for the doctor. And I was like, no, I think I'm ready. It's and happening. all of a sudden, the you know the bed just transforms. Like yeah. things start coming out and things start popping up. And she was like, wait. And I was like, mm-mm. Pushed about eight minutes. Eight minutes. I I did. I I would understand this whole weight breathing thing. Yeah. I didn't. You no, didn't need that. I I went to that special place that you would go to when you're like doing that heavy back squat, uh-huh. you know, and it's like I'm gonna. That probably really helped. And and your experience <laughs> with all that. That's what I say. Like that's where I think training uh-huh. definitely helped prepare. No different than like you know those levels of madness that you have to go to to finish a marathon yeah. or to get through a heavy workout. And I just went to that place and gave birth. So <laughs> <laughs> so after that championship though. Um, what was next? Because I mean, you still, there you are with a newborn. Yeah. So there I was with a newborn and it was interesting while I was pregnant, I actually ended up, so I was in Alabama the whole time. I was going back and forth, uh, between Alabama and Seattle and, uh, ended up in Seattle taking a job because now I'm pregnant. I don't know if I'm going to be able to come back if sports going to happen. So I actually had taken a job at my university working for my alumni club as director of our alumni club and was was getting plugged in and, and thinking that I was going to transition and then felt good, go down to the championship, compete really well. And then I was like, yeah, I'm not done. I thought I would be done because you don't know. You don't know how you're going to come back how your pregnancy is going to go, how the delivery is going to go, how the baby, if, you know, and luckily we were healthy, everything was great. And I thought, well, I still got it. So then I put in my resignation. I went back to Alabama with my, by then he was about four months old, four month old baby. I got right back into training to get ready for the Olympics, right? Because this was seven and 2008 was, was, was an Olympic year. And um, yeah, I went back down to Alabama and there were, there I was taking my baby to practice and, and working out. Okay, so that is, that's incredible because I mean, just, I, I know how emotionally exhausting having a baby is, you know, in general, but so you're a single mom now. Were you already a single mom then? Pretty much, yeah. Okay. <laughs> because to me, that's the hard, that that's seems the hard like part. the hardest part. Yeah. What it would have been. How did you handle that? Well, I mean, I think that was the transition. It was figuring it out, right? So I had some, I still had friends and relationships and stuff there. So I called one of my friends and said, hey, I'm coming back. And she said, cool, I've got an extra room. All yeah. right. So literally went down. I had the blow up mattress. He had the Aww. the baby, you know, travel, yeah. travel crib. Yeah. And he was set and just made it work. Well, that has to be such a special, unique relationship you have with your son then. Oh, for sure. Doing that alone. I mean, you know, because as a mom and I have my husband doing these things with me, like when I go through these like emotional, like your hormones change and you feel crazy, (laughs) like I can be like, Hey, I need to get away. But like, you didn't have that relief. No. And initially, and I didn't know, I probably, at the time I didn't know I needed it. Yeah. Right. Because I was just doing what I knew how to do. And it's like, when he needed to eat, he ate. When I needed to eat, I ate, went to training. He went with me. And depending on the days, like one of my training partners would be like, well, I'll hold, cause you know, when they're little, I'll hold him, mm-hmm. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, while you throw. And he'd yeah. just come to the weight room with yeah. me, 
just plop him down in his car seat or his stroller. And I mean, he literally, and like I said, I was in a great environment. And then I probably was, had been down there for a few months when my mom finally called and said, hey, do you need some help? And I was like, well, if you want to come on down. And so she packed up, left Seattle and, and came on down to Alabama and, and really has been with me since. Oh, <laughs> well, you guys, you kind of always say, you know, to me on the outside looking at it, it seems so hard and I'm sure it was. But it's kind of like, well, that's what you had, and that's what you were dealing with, so you dealt with it. So you just dealt with you it, did yeah. It. I didn't. I didn't have time to think that my situation might not have been the best situation. Yeah. I was like, no, I know that I still have talent. I still have this ability. I also happen to now be responsible for another life, <laughs> um, so I don't want that life to to lack in yeah. any way. And then there was just a lot of unknowns, right? Because having this is the first year am I going to make this recovery am I going to come back and you know there I was a year later back to throwing 65 meters again so then I knew like this wasn't like a wasn't a pipe dream yeah right this wasn't like I wasn't an Olympic hopeful like, yeah I was an Olympian who was going to be another Olympian yeah and um so then I had to just train the way I knew I needed to train and just kind of really focus and and obviously scale back. I was only working part-time then. I um, was able to go back into the Home Depot program. So I was kind of doing that part-time and training and just making it happen. <laughs> so talk about your son um, kind of watching mom grow up, like as he's growing up, he's 10 now, watching mom train his entire life. And then he gets to go to the London Olympics and see you be an Olympian? Yeah, I think for me, that's probably a highlight for me as a parent. Yeah. Not so much as an athlete, but as okay. a parent, because you know, as a parent, you always want to teach your kids, like you got to work for what you want. Mm -hmm. Nothing's going to be given to you. If you want it, you got to, you got to work hard for it. So it was really fun for me, for him to like, kind of watch me go out the door every day to go to practice. Cause he knew what practice was for me. Cause he had gone to practice with me. So he knew. <laughs> for years. Yeah. For years. Like he knew <laughs> mommy was going to go throw some things around. I was going to go lift some weights. And so it was a real joy for him to watch me work hard. And then the come to the, he, he went to both Olympic trials with me. He was there with me in eight and he was there with okay. me in 12 at the Olympic trials. So to see me in the moment, qualify for the team, I believe in eight, he got to take the victory lap with me because someone handed him to me over the rail. At that point, I was like, yeah. okay, he was like two, right? Well, he was, yeah, almost two. Yeah. yeah. And um, so, or actually it was only a year, I guess, in 2008. See how time flies. Anyways, taking the victory lap. And then here we are, fast forward to 2012, going into London. And for him to be in the stands, you know, and he's got his little USA t-shirt on. And he's on. bigger than so He's he bigger. Understand. He understands. He can see the magnitude of the event. That's the Olympics, you know, because until then, when he was a baby, he traveled with me. Mm -hmm. He had a passport. Mm -hmm. His first trip That's was six so cool. months old. I and mean, where did you go? Uh, Australia and New Zealand. Okay. I know, poor kid. Right? <laughs> Doesn't even know. I mean, he knows he, he went. He doesn't know how cool he got it. <laughs> yeah, like, I traveled there yeah. at six months. Yeah, he's traveled the world already and only knows through stories. And he'll he'll look at a map sometimes. We'll tell you, he's like, no, Mom, have I been there? Yeah. I'm like, you, yep, you've been there. He's been to the White House. Oh, I mean, he's literally so been cool. everywhere that I've yeah. been. But for him to kind of see that moment... And see and be able to cheer for mommy and know what it took for mommy to get there. Mm -hmm. um, for me as a parent, like that's super rewarding, right? Because you t we tell our kids, like, I'm battling with him now. He's in the fifth grade. And I'm like, you got to do your homework because these are the things that you have to do for you to have an opportunity to be successful. And so I think to be an example of that mm -hmm. um, is, was fun for me. Yeah. Yeah. So... Um where was I going with that? Sorry, my mind, my mind just Yeah, blanked. that's all right. You know, we're talking about kids and Olympics and stuff. You can go any way we want. That's where I was going. <laughs> so because you do see a lot of people that go to the Olympics, and it's kind of like they do that, and then they have kids. 
So right. you just don't hear very many people who are walking through this with their children. Right. And I think, well, I think one of the beautiful things about the sport of track and field is there are lots of women around who are discovering that you can be a mom and come back into sport. I think the stigma for so long that was so you had to finish. Mm-hmm. And also I think that stigma was because women also finished earlier, mm-hmm. right? You went to an Olympics and you retired, yeah. right? So now you're 23 or 24. I mean, you know what I mean? Like you can get married, you can start a family or whatever. And, you know, where now I think women are staying in sports longer. Yeah. So then the concept of, well, do you wait or do you start? Put it in the middle somewhere. Yeah, do you put it in the middle somewhere? And so I was fortunate enough to take a chance and mm-hmm. say, let's, maybe it's time to be a mom and everything work and then still be able to go back into yeah. sport and have a, probably more years after a kid than probably coming into it. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I think it, it definitely is, uh, I think an era has changed. I want to say it's in the workforce too, right? I mean, yeah. there was the stigma that if you were a, a mom, you maybe you, you, it was maybe taboo mm-hmm. or not allowed or, or guilty mm-hmm. as a mom that you weren't doing the, the best thing for your child yep. because you're choosing to also have whatever the career is. And I, I feel like those, 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 um, boundaries sort of are being explored now with a little bit more maybe openness and understanding probably than than women's experience 20 years ago oh totally you know and so I definitely know that I'm a recipient where I was embraced it wasn't like now people might think I was a little crazy for having a kid and coming (laughs) right back to throwing I'll give them that um you have to be a little off to do that but it also was embraced like there wasn't anybody that was that was like that's taboo what you're doing like it was like oh that's awesome and i feel like it's inspired others that yeah you can have kids and do whatever you want if that's what you want to do yeah you know yeah I sometimes wonder if the if athletes are like well I don't want to give the energy that it takes and the commitment that it takes to be an Olympian after I have kids so but then you you run into like women waiting till they're like 38 and you know, you just, you can't plan like, oh, I'm going to wait till I'm 38 and then I will get pregnant because you don't know. You don't know. And I think that's, that's the thing. That is the unknown. Yeah. Right. And, um, and that's why I tell people like, I know I was fortunate Yeah. because, um, like I said, I had a great pregnancy. I had a healthy pregnancy and, and you know, I did, we didn't have any complications. And so I was able to do something crazy, like throw two weeks after childbirth. Yeah. Um, cause we were good. We were, we were ready for it. And I actually asked the doctor, I said, are there any restrictions? <laughs> and he was like, pain is your guide. And I was like, I just had natural childbirth. You can't tell me pain is my guide. I now there know what limits. pain really is. There's no, now there's no limits. Well, let's go. That's what ice is for. Like, <laughs> so what do you think you can credit to the longevity of your career? Um, I believe along the way, I feel like a lot of the coaches that I had along the way were also really good mentors mm-hmm. that also like invested in me to know that I needed to invest in myself. So I I feel like one of the things I did as an athlete is I took good care of myself. I really prided myself in, you know, making sure I was eating right, making sure I was getting my sleep, making sure I was taking care of my body. Um, Because it is easy just to run yourself into a brick wall and then you break. So, and then your career ends. And I think my my asset was being willing to take the time to take care of myself Mm -hmm. along the way and like, just like I said, just eat, eating, sleeping, hydration, like the things that they tell you that you're supposed to do that when you're 21, mm. nobody wants to hear, right? Mm-hmm. You know, because you're 21. But 
it eventually, if you can take better care of yourself, I think you can have, um, I would say as long as of a career as you want, but you have a better chance at having a good career. Getting ahead of stuff, if something's bothering you, don't ignore it, address it, you know, see the trainer. Yeah. You know, find out what's going on. Like, is this is something I can just work through, or is this something that needs to be addressed? So I feel like that's kind of one of the one of the things that that really helped. So I should have this in my notes, but I don't. Um, what what places did you get at the Olympics? So my highest finish, I believe, was ninth. Could be eighth by now. There's been some movement oh, sure. in the, we just in the about that yeah. Um, but I believe it was ninth in uh, Beijing. So do you ever feel uh, like, oh, I wish I would have won a medal? Or do you have any of those feelings? You know, it's interesting. I don't have any regrets yeah. um, in the sport. I took my sport where I worked as hard as I could every day to be the best I could and to throw as far as I could at the, at the given moment. Um, and I have a lot of great achievements. I think when you're in it, you're always trying to, right? The elusive medal. Mm-hmm. You know, I tell people, man, there's a lot of us out there fighting and they're only giving away three. Sure, yeah. So <laughs> there's going to be a lot of people that go away empty-handed. Oh, totally. Um, but yeah, of course, I think you're always striving, whether it's for a personal best or for the medal or, you know, a spot on the podium or mm-hmm. whatever the, the lingo is that, like, really drives someone. So, of course, being the best drove me, but at the end of the day, it didn't own me. Yeah. Right? Because the satisfaction for me was knowing that I gave it my all. Mm-hmm. Like, and I worked to be the best that I could be. And that's every day's results were were, were going to be different. Um, so I don't have regrets, although I, I like, I could say, oh man, I wish, sure, who doesn't want an Olympic medal? But you know, yeah. they're not giving them away. Right. So when <laughs> did you know that you were done? Like, when did you know it was time to retire? You know, it's interesting. I don't think I actually really knew that it was time to retire. I think after the 2012 Olympics, I had the ambition to throw through 2016. Okay. Very much had it on my radar and was training to throw through 2016 with the goal of most likely after the Rio Olympics where I would have competed, mm-hmm. right? Um, then I was thinking about like going into coaching or something kind of in health and nutrition. But it was after 2012, I kind of started working on my resume a little bit, just making sure I had one, you know, yeah. and, and shared it with a, a couple of colleagues and stuff of mine to like look it over just to make sure I'm ready when the, when the time comes. Um, and, and it was interesting because at the time, well, I guess around maybe 2008, no, nine, you know, it's all running in together. But anyways, around that time, I remember um, being on the board uh, with our serving as an athlete on our board of directors oh, at, the, at USA, track, at and USA and field. track and field. So I was very much involved in the sport, um, wanting to just, however I could help the sport grow or influence, you know, that was my passion, right? Because this was something that had given me so much that I wanted to be part of seeing how I could help the next generation. And so having served on the board, working with Max and other folks on the board who were like, hey, what are you going to do, you know, later on? And oh, man, it used to burn me inside. He's like, what do you mean what I'm going to do? I'm going to go throw the discus. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's what I'm going to do. And so, you know, I tell those guys the stories now, like, but that that's what I'm saying. I had so many great people around me that I didn't know who were like, hey, don't forget, you know, you should be working on that second career while you're in this career, but you're so tunnel visioned. So to your point, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then an opportunity arose where there was a need here at USA Track and Field for someone to work in international teams. And uh, so I remember kind of hearing about it and talking to some folks and I was like, hmm, I wonder if it's time 
you know, like, should I pursue it? Should I not? And so I remember sitting down talking to my coach and I, I said, coach, because, you know, you're vested, but your coach is vested, your family's vested, like your support group's vested. So we've already made the declaration after 12 mm-hmm. that we're going to throw through 16 and okay. we only just finished 13 season, right? So mm-hmm. technically this isn't when you throw in the towel. This is uh, a lot of time left. This is a lot of time left. Like I got a lot of work, a lot of missions still to go on. And uh, so I remember sitting down and I said, you know, coach, what do you think? Like, you know, is it time to maybe like try to pursue something different or, you know, because... I think sometimes as athletes, you don't know when it's time to hang it up. Mm-hmm. And some, you need people who are going to be honest with you, right? Like, as I, have I lost it? Am I, have I lost a step? Am I not strong enough? Am I not throwing? Am I not competitive enough? And my coach was really honest. He's like, no, you're still super competitive. And I have all the faith that you can definitely make this Olympic team. However, what are you going to do after you make that Olympic team? And that's when we had a really good conversation. He said, because the opportunity that's there now might not be there. Mm-hmm. If you wait, because mm-hmm. someone else is going to step into that role, right? And you're going to go to Rio, you're going to throw, and then what? Yeah. Like, you know, and it was like, you know what? You're right. So I talked with my family, you know, and just said, hey, what do you guys think? So it took me a long time to kind of like figure out, is it time to pursue? And, you know, what do I do? And then finally I said, you know what? Let's just go take a leap of faith and. Let's go for it. So So you moved here. So you moved here from where? From Auburn, Alabama. Okay. Yeah. So you've been in Indy now for uh, for four years. Okay, so I, what do you think? It's growing on me. <laughs> you know what's hard here? It's not the city, it's the weather. Oh. Okay. Yeah. I'm a Seattle kid. Grew up in the city where it doesn't really snow in the mountains, maybe because it doesn't get that cold. Then I spent ten years in the south where a cold day is sixty. And I came here October of 13, oh. and I have to give you that time frame because it snowed October of 13, and it snowed through that April yeah, that of was 14. A bad winter. And, it was, and it was the worst winter on I record. I remember that winter. I almost quit. <laughs> because I of almost the quit weather? This, I was like, can't do this. It hurt my bones. I was yeah. like, I'm so frail then. <laughs> but I'm, 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 I'm doing better now. I'm a Jesse. But otherwise, I feel like Indy is a beautiful town. I see it definitely different as a parent. I see it through a parent's eyes. Right? Okay, so tell me what that means. That meant we had a membership to the kids' museum, oh. right? We had the membership to the zoo. And I was like, I didn't know you could. I didn't know there was so many parks. I didn't know there mm-hmm. was so many museums. Like, So I definitely saw it through a different lens as opposed to like if you're just a young adult moving to a city. Sure. I definitely saw it from like the family kid what life lens if that makes sense <laughs> yeah i always say that indianapolis is kind of like a little smaller big city i mean yeah. it has a, that feel a little bit like everybody kind of knows everybody a little bit whereas in chicago or something like that it's just i don't know it's just massive yeah i really feel like i blended auburn and seattle uh-huh oh in, in, in indy. indy yeah i kind of feel like i got a little bit of both right i got small because auburn's just a college town yeah not surrounded with the professional sports yeah. and whatever, which is kind of what I missed because growing okay. up in Seattle and growing up with my Seahawks and yeah. then Sonics, we won't talk about that because that's just a bitter subject, and the Mariners and like, you know, soccer team, and we got a hockey, like, you know, you grow up around like mm-hmm. that type, and then there's also the university yeah. that has its realm and the surrounding universities, mm-hmm. and so growing up in that, I feel like this is definitely probably more my niche being in a sports town. I'm a sports junkie. So do you do you follow like the Colts and the Pacers, or are you still a Seahawks person, or what's your team? I I, I am Colts Pacer friendly. Okay. <laughs> but I am by sure a diehard Seahawks fan, okay. right? So the first year I'm here, 
and I'm sure my coworkers hate me. It's time for the Seahawks to play the Colts, okay. right? I come in, I'm wearing my jersey, <laughs> I put my flag up in the office, right? And they're like, what are you doing? And I was like, uh, I'm a Seahawks fan, <laughs> but we're playing the Colts. And like, you know, so, but it's funny because now my son is, is torn. He's a Colts fan, Seahawks fan, but he grew up in Auburn at the, in the Cam Newton era. Okay. And then he didn't understand where Cam Newton went when he left Auburn. So we had to explain, well, he's a Carolina Panther sure. now. And so, so he's a Carolina Panther fan because he's a kid. So he's got like three football teams right now. <laughs> uh, we really only have one basketball team because the Sonics are just a name. Okay in a city with no team but so we do go to Pacers games and we'll go to Colts games like I great great team I mean he's got to meet some of the players through some of the various oh, programs cool. that he's done in the city yeah. um, he's actually uh, has done some of the golf programs where the Colts and stuff have come out and met the kids and so he's like oh I've met that guy mom oh, cool. and I know that guy you know yeah. so, well, that's pretty cool you know well it's funny because I always my husband is from a suburb of Chicago and so he's a Bears fan which the Bears like when when was the last time they were good when they played <laughs> us in the Super Bowl the Colts <laughs> but I always tell him I'm like you know to raise our boys, we have three boys, to be Colts or Bears fans is going to be very difficult to do that here in Indianapolis. It is difficult. Because all their friends are going to be Colts fans. Right. So my son and I always have like a running bet. Like last year, it was like about a week before the seahawks Colt matchup. And I said, uh, who are you going to cheer for this? Because he has a Colts jersey, he has a Seahawks jersey, uh-huh. and he has his Panthers jersey, right? <laughs> so I said, who are you going to roll with this weekend, you know? Oh, mommy, I'm going with the Seahawks. I'm with you. All right, game day. I got my jersey on. I always, I put my flag up on my door outside, so I need my neighbors to know too. Like this is what's going down today. Like yeah. this is a Seahawks household, right? I'm like Theo, man, go get your Seahawks jersey. He's like, okay. Comes down in his Colts jersey. Uh oh. I was like, wait a minute. He goes, nope. I'm going against you today. I said, who got you at school? Because you know what? We were fine all week. Someone, someone twisted you on Friday at yeah. school. So Got you wore Seahawks, and, and he, he wore his Colts. Colts. Seahawks oh. won that day, so it's okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> what year was that? I was. It had to be last year. Okay. I think it was last year. I don't know. We've been on this roll, like yeah, yeah. The Colts haven't been good for a while either, have they? Um. You know what? They try. Okay. <laughs> I was really confused when I when I first got here because everybody was like still a Peyton Manning fan. Oh yeah. And I was like, this. It was a, again another game where the Seahawks were playing the Broncos, uh-huh. and so I was like. Why are all these people in Indy broncoed out? I'm oh, sure. so confused. And they're like, They well. worship Peyton. And I go, but you guys, Peyton doesn't play here anymore. The guy's name is Luck. Yeah. Okay? He's your new quarterback. Like, you yeah. might want to, if I was Luck, I would probably be mad with all right. of these Broncos jerseys. So, you know, there's a lot of that. But, you know, I think the Colts are trying to do their thing. They've got some great players. But it's like yeah. any, I was a Seahawks fan long enough to know we were not always good. Sure. And then you get your Super Bowl run. You and, turn and it around. You turn around, you get a win. And then you know what? Now you got to pay everybody and you can't afford it. And so then you're going to take a dive again. I mean, it's it's the sports business of football. Okay, but one more football question <laughs> before we move on, just because I feel like you can really give me some knowledge here. Why are teams like the Patriots always good? You want to know what the media says? or? <laughs> <laughs> You know what? It is interesting. I kind of look at that and I'm like, I don't know how they keep their players because you have you have a salary cap. You yeah. have like, and this is where like you get to the business side of sure. it. How do you keep the players? Because yeah. somebody's got to be pl- playing for cheap yeah. or refusing sure. to, yeah. to go or got to take the cut for the team. Uh-huh. And we're not getting that information in the public, right? Okay. So I'm not sure how you keep 
all of those players because that's the issue that Seattle had after they won. It's like, now how do you keep Russell Wilson? And then now how do you keep Because he wants to go to a better team. Well, now it's time to pay him more. because he came in like as a rookie. Mm. So they have these rookie salary caps and now it's time to, you know, mm. franchise him or whatever, you know. Like how do you pay him and then still pay the defense that got you there? Like how do you still pay all of your stars? You can't. So mm. you're going to lose some players. So I don't know how, I don't know how they do it. Crooked. It, they call <laughs> them the cheaters, but you didn't hear that from me. No, <laughs> I don't We're know. We're learning about football today on the yeah. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so you, um, you recently got your master's. Yes. Yes. So tell me about that. Yeah. So this was like a long process. Um, we learned about this program two years before I actually even went to the program. That the uh, International Olympic Committee, code name IOC, had this um, executive management master's program. And the USOC, United States Olympic Committee, um, decided to open it up the year that I applied to allow the NGBs an opportunity to go through this program, which was primarily NOC based, right? It was for the national. Uh-huh. The, that's why I'm going to get you four national Olympic committees is okay. the NOC and then the NGB, which is what USA Track and Field is, okay. which is the national governing body. Got it. So, so we got all this. So we got to get through these codes, but they opened up the program to the federations to have an opportunity to apply. And so, um, so I went ahead and applied and submitted my resume and you had to pick a program that your, um, organization supported okay. and so I met with our organization and our high performance department and I wanted to put our talent protection program known as TPP up as my research project to submit and what do you know I'm at the Olympic trials in Houston and that's when I found out that the USOC had selected me into the program so they were like yay but don't tell anyone because <laughs> now all the NOC candidates which is like 208 all submit their applicants to the IOC, of which they're only going to select 35. Mm. So it's not even... Yeah. So I'm walking on the Olympic trials, and all the USOC folks who I know are like, Aretha, you stole my spot in memos. <laughs> and I go, I still don't know what memos is. Like, I don't even know. Now I know, and I get it. And so fortunate enough, go through full circle, get accepted. Once you get accepted, because of how the selection's done, like I was the only American, right? So everyone who's there, they make sure all the continents are represented. So um, I, uh, two English speakers, so myself and the Canadian um, representative were probably the only two true English speaking folks in the program. Everyone else, English was a second language. Oh, wow. Even the professors. Whoa. So the course is taught in English, but it's very, very much like to... there were still times when I was like, Excuse what's, me? What, what's that, you know, what's that word? But yeah, it was super. So you finished. Though. So I finally finished. So my la this last year for me was like crazy because I'm full time job, full time mom. Yep. And then I'm doing this international master's program where I'm going away for like two weeks at a time. And where'd you, where were so you going? So started off in Switzerland. Oh, wow. And then my next block was in, uh, I got to go to Africa. Oh, cool. Yeah, and I was in Botswana. And did your son stay with your mom? Yes. Yeah. Yep. He stayed, he stayed. He had to stay home. He's in school, yeah. unfortunately. Oh, I'm sorry, son. Plus, the way the program's designed, there's no free time. Right. You're, you're literally you in class all day, and then you're doing group projects all night. I mean, they take you from, That's you know, crazy. they you burn the candle. It's intense. It's intense. Yeah, because it's a one-year program. Okay. So it's super intense. Uh, went from there to the Netherlands. Okay. Um, that was really fun because we got to stay at their Olympic training center. 
Um, oh, cool. And they're kind of like convention center stuff. Yeah. So it's really cool to kind of see another kind of Olympic uh-huh. body and kind of how they do stuff and support their programs. But it was very much Olympic sport management based, right? Just understand the Olympic movement, whether you're at a, a national Olympic committee, whether you're at a federation or an international federation or even the IOC level, just understanding best practices, you know, for governance and finance and the whole the whole nine. So finally finished up in September and got Woo-hoo. to uh, present my project. And my project is actually alive and kicking uh, in the organization as well. So that's, that's like one of the things they like to see. So like me getting accepted kind of gave us the fuel that we needed uh-huh. to go ahead and like get this program off with the, the ground. talent protection program. with the talent protection program. And what is the pro- what is it? So in a nutshell, and I won't go into the details. Sure. It was designed to protect, and I always say it like the little Rethas, who when you graduate from college and you don't know what to do, but you're good. Like, okay, sure. You've made an Olympic team or a world team, and yeah. you've got this this international standard, and you're of a ranking and a caliber, but you don't know how to be a professional, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how do I keep going? And so it's an opportunity to build like a, a nest for two years where you can come into this program for two years and have not just support programs, but the education okay. to be successful, right? The time to meet with the nutritionist, to meet with the athletic trainers, to meet with the tax consultants, right? To like understand, like we took the athletes out to the USOC and they had to spend time like with the nutritionist in the cooking center, mm-hmm. like, right? Like understanding how to bridge that gap so that if you do continue on after, now you've at least got a good foundation. Okay. So. I, I've interviewed <laughs> Courtney Freyricks on this podcast, and she <laughs> made mention of the Talent Protection Program. Yeah, so it's 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 in its infancy phases, okay. and um, we're just getting it off the ground. Obviously, like there was, that, like people don't know, like it was kind of tied into the fact that it was part of like a research sure. project program, and yeah. so we've only really got one good year of of data that okay. we know we need some more years to really see. But even we saw firsthand in Rio where the core group that would normally fit into that mold, um, we wouldn't get any medals from, right? Because of whatever reasons. And we got like four. Okay. That were part of the program. That were part of the program yeah. in one year. Okay. You know, so it lets you know like there's some opportunities there. And like I said, it's it's really more, it's about the support and the resources, but it's also about the education. Because when I think about me, you're like, how'd you do yeah. it? I just figured. Just called up a coach. Call, I called up people. I called like friends. Yeah. And I was like, I want to keep throwing. Like, how do I what do, do I this? Do? What do I do? Like. Yeah. Do I get a job? Do I not get it? Like, like some of those types of questions to figure out, like, how do you manage it and balance it all to make that successful transition? Because unfortunately, because it's, it's the beauty of the collegiate system, but unfortunately, everything is done for you as yeah. a collegiate athlete. Uh-huh. You're told when to go to practice. Yeah. You're told who your coaching staff is. You know where the training room is. You know, it, but then you graduate. Now what? Yeah. Who sets the schedule now? You do? Oh, I do? You know, like, just kind of that whole, like, helping them bridge that gap so that they actually can, and whatever level of success they want to have in the sport, now they have a stronger foundation for it. Well, yeah, and I, I just can imagine being 22 and feeling really lost, like, well, I need to make money, but, like, I don't know how to become an athlete so that I do make money and get a sponsor and all this stuff. 
and do I get a part-time job, but can I train as fully as I want to while I work? And Yeah, like all those questions that we go through. And like I said, I, I was fortunate because I still had enough people around me that I could talk to that I, I sort of found my way yeah. to have that long career, right? But I could have easily fallen through the cracks. Well, yeah, you could have been like, I just had a baby, like, and I'm, you know, or no coaches are calling me right now. I'm having to call these people. So maybe I'll just like go maybe, to a job. Maybe I'll just hang it up. Yeah. yeah and, and, and that's the kind of the unfortunate side where it's like, I had, I had enough intuition, right. And enough, whatever, self-starter, go get them. And I went to the Olympics. Yeah. So that was the other thing. I was fortunate to go to my first Olympics as a college athlete. And I remember that experience running around the Olympic Village at 19 years old, <laughs> the opening ceremonies in America, the pride, everything, the cool athletes oh, I yeah, met. So what year was that? There's a 96. 96 Atlanta. Yeah. Okay, it, that's where I was confused because you yeah, missed 2000. I missed, yeah, but I made 96. I, Okay, that's where we went. Okay, 96, 2000. Missed 2000. Okay. Then I went 4, 8, 12. Okay, okay, got it. Yeah. <laughs> I know, it's like, I kept thinking, where were the four? But that's, went back to the 96. But, yeah, yeah, and so that was yeah, kind of... Yeah, you were of, so young. I was young, and yeah. so I was like, but I saw, but I got bit by the bug. Mm -hmm. Does that, you know, and I was like, I, you get a taste, mm -hmm. and it's like, no, I, I want to keep doing, I'm not done yet. Yeah. yeah. So was that devastating in 2000 when yeah. you didn't make the team? I didn't know I could cry so hard. Yeah. Oh, it hurt so bad. Um, I think it hurt, it hurt twice as bad because not only am I fourth, and you're basically the first loser. Right. Let's just be honest. That's what fourth yeah. is. You're the first loser. Yeah. You're the one that doesn't get to go. It's the furthest I'd ever thrown at a national championships ever. That event's called the Olympic Trials. But <laughs> I threw 63 meters. Yeah. Like, at the, to, like it's the... It to get is, fourth place. It's still the furthest fourth place position we've had. Exactly. <laughs> like, you don't throw that far and not go. Like, okay. it was just a hot year. Yeah. Like, everyone was throwing well. I was throwing well. Yeah. But not well enough, yeah. right? Like, and so that's the reality of sports. Like... So it was, it was sore. It's like I could not have thrown it. It was the furthest I'd ever thrown a championship. I was super consistent, like had a great year all year. And I was like, fourth? Ugh. How'd like, that happen? How the I cried so hard. Oh, okay. And then that's the check. That's the self-check. That's your gut check. Yeah. How bad do you want it? Yeah. Have you read that book? I haven't. I, that's just was you know my the philosophy then. No. <laughs> There's a book by Matt Fitzgerald called How Bad Do You Want It? Oh, yeah. And we actually have a podcast, a book club with this podcast, and we read that book in October. Okay. And it talks about that, just like the psychological side of how bad do you want yeah. it? How hard are you willing to work? How bad are you willing to hurt? How, yeah, because you're in. That's when you hurt, right? Yeah. You can't go any lower. You can't feel any more pain. You know, in terms of just competitive pain, right? That you're just like, mm -hmm. I put all of my eggs in this basket, mm -hmm. and it failed. You know, and so I think that's where you you can either learn lessons from failure, or you can let failure own you, right? Yeah. And so it's like I had to figure out, well, what are my lessons to learn here? And that's when I had to reevaluate. Did I put my? Did I set myself up for success? Did I have everything that I needed to be competing with the world's best? Yeah. You know. Who did you throw for? Were you Nike? Um, so when I first started, I was with the club. Okay. Uh, U.S. West. And then I was nobody. Yeah. <laughs> I was just throwing. Yeah. Um, and then I was fortunate enough then to, uh, to then become a thrower for, for Nike and kind of be on, in that support structure. Yeah. But I say that loosely because it's different for throwers. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah. Tell me, tell me what that means. Well... Throwers, field events, um, especially the era where I was coming in, like late 90s, kind of early uh -huh. 2000s, like 
you're not getting these lucrative contracts. Like, so even if you threw for Nike at the time yeah. or any sponsor, yeah. right? Whether it was Adidas or Reebok or Puma, like you probably still had to work because most of the contracts for throwers were just bonus structures. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't ever any guaranteed income. Like yeah. you still had to go find your own income sure. to, to make it. That's so hard. It, well, yeah. yeah. Like so that's what I said, like and that's where I like I've seen the sport that's how I know the sport has grown so much. Yeah. From the time I entered it to where it is now. It was hard. Yeah. And it's not that it's not hard now, but when I say it was hard, like it was hard. There wasn't a lot of money. And if you didn't go out and earn the money on the circuit, you didn't really earn a living. Okay. Right. So you I had to go. So I traveled the world. I mean that's how you know how that's the how support So I made my money. It's I had to go out and I had to compete for it and I had yeah. to beat the best in the world. Yeah. Cause in the women's throws there was so few opportunities. We all showed up at the same yeah. events. Every time I showed up, it was the top ten women in the world. Yeah. Every single time. Jeez. Like so it's like it's the Super Bowl every day, right? right? Like, oh my gosh! Like, but yeah, yeah. you got to battle for it, and we're all fighting for 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 the money. That, for so the you money. Can, like, buy your groceries and so that you can keep you know keep traveling, keep yeah. training, keep following this dream. But you know, I for me, the perspective always was, it wasn't about the money, right? As much as I loved doing what I was doing, I loved who I was who I was representing, how I was representing myself, and what I was learning from the sport. I took this little small one kilo discus, 2.2 pounds, a platter, and I traveled the world. Now do, I'm, do you always carry your disc no. or is it whatever they have? <laughs> no. okay. It's independent. Like uh, if I was on the circuit, I carried my implements, but I didn't carry a whole lot. Okay. Um, when you go to Worlds and Olympics, the, the implements are provided. Okay. So you throw what's provided. Matter of fact, you almost have to throw is what's provided. Sure, to, to make sure there's nobody's breaking rules. Yeah, there's nobody's this weigh-in guideline. Yeah, you can't deflate no, a disc. Yeah, no deflate gate here. Yeah. <laughs> man, how do we keep picking on these poor bats? Like, oh, I know. <laughs> oh, man. Um, okay, well, so you're really into kickboxing now. Or, yeah. or boxing. Yeah, you know, I had to kind of find something new, right? Like, yeah. I think my transition from highly competitive sports and I see other women go through too. What do you do now? Yeah. What's normal? Mm-hmm. I realize now I'll probably never be normal, so I'm trying to still I'm yeah. still what's my new normal? Uh-huh. And uh, what I had to find out and what I mean by that is I had to learn to accept doing a 30 minute workout or a 60 minute workout as enough. Mm-hmm. I'm still not convinced, but I'm trying to convince myself <laughs> that that's enough. Now I take my 60 minute workout and I do it 6 days a week. Right. Where do you, what do you do? Uh, so I just joined the title boxing gym okay, and okay. I go T60 or whatever. Yeah. You warm up for 15 minutes, you hit a heavy bag for eight rounds and you do 15 minutes of core. And I was like, you know what? This is my jam right that's now. That's a great like, workout. That's, and that's what I was looking for because I'm not going to do that to myself. Yeah. Like, it's I hard got, to like motivate yourself to do that at home. I'm not going to go to the Y yeah. or in my garage or in uh-huh. my room. Like I'm not going to do that to myself because I am now four years removed from competition, right? right. So I'm not going to like torture myself, but I'll go and let <laughs> someone else torture me for a little bit and then walk away. Yeah. Like, all right, see you tomorrow. So they have like, it's like a class and they run you through it. They run you through it. They've yeah. got the trainers. You basically just show up. Okay. So I can do that. I can show up. I can get it in. Um, but I'm enjoying it because I found something that's unlike anything I've ever done. Yeah. Right? Because I threw for so long. I don't, you don't throw for fun. Yeah. Like that's not, you don't just, I'm just going to go toss the discus for a workout. 
no, that's torture. I don't want to do power cleans anymore. Yeah. Who wants to do power cleans? Like, no. I've, I've never done one. Yeah, don't, don't, I mean. Like, don't do it. Don't do it. Why? <laughs> it hurts. Like, your joints. No, it's actually really good for you if you do it right. If you do it right. But at a high level, you're yeah. not, you're not training for fitness. You're yeah. training for performance. Mm-hmm. And that's. So if you don't know how to scale back, you're better off staying out of that zone. So I don't want to go lift weights. Yeah. Not like that. Are but, you a morning or evening worker outer? <laughs> unfortunately, I'm a morning worker outer due after, to life well, and kids. Yeah, do kids stuff after school. I hate work. mornings. Yeah. I've n- never trained in the morning. Like my coach even knew. Like a workout before noon. Uh-uh, not happening. Oh, I might could give you 10 a.m. Yeah. But uh, you're not going to get my best. So for me to get in and do these 6 a.m. workouts. Yeah, because I assume you're here by like 8 or 9. Oh, yeah. So I get up at 5, get my 6 a.m. workout in, get it in. So that way then I can come home. And now I can leave here and then go to my second job. And we can do, I'm in fifth grade now. So we're doing homework and we're we're eating and we're showering. And then like... You know, then you just go into that routine. Yeah. Does he kickbox with you? I've, I've actually had him. He's come and done a few of the boxing workouts. I've let him kind of get in the ring and work uh-huh. with the trainer on the mitts just yeah. so he can have, like, the technique. But he's got his own thing. He's right now rolling from soccer to basketball to baseball to golf. Oh, he's into it all. He does it. He does it all. I've tried to figure out what he actually likes or doesn't like. He likes everything. Mm-hmm. I asked him one time. I said, what's your favorite sport? He told me he liked everything but darts. <laughs> All right, I didn't know darts was a sport, so okay, you know, like... And <laughs> Is I it always, an Olympic sport, darts? I hope not. I don't know. I don't want to offend any dart throwers out there. Do you know Susan? <laughs> it's not? She, I, Susan says no. I, I hope not. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, he loves it. He's he's really good at golf, but, um, but I keep telling him every year, let me know when you want to try anything new, and, like, I'll sign you up, because I feel as a young kid like you just need the variety like I just love what sports teaches you in terms of just the winning and the losing and the training and yeah you know like you got to fight for it there's just something about and then the camaraderie right team building social skills Mm -hmm. which are so important for kids these days and because we have a new era yeah that we live in but I think just having social social, media era yeah Yeah. but like just know how to sit down have a conversation with someone without your phone in front of you right does he have a phone or anything no my husband and I have just (laughs) been discussing this like how are we going to keep our kids off social media as long as we possibly can I don't know I'm just saying no because you're just getting to that because my kids are so young you're 10 now so he's probably starting to think about it I was mad when his grandma bought him an iPad yeah I was like, no. I know. Because you know what it is. You have your standards, and then the people around you buy whatever they yeah. want. Yeah, totally. Because I was like, no, no gaming systems. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, he's got two gaming systems, right? Because someone else bought them. And then it's just like, he doesn't, you know. Then you just have, you have to fight your battle. Well, yeah, and it's hard, too, because I'm like, well, it's not all evil. Like, you right. know, we're on our phones and do things, yeah. too. Probably I at least am too much on my phone, but, like, it is kind of the way the world is now, but it's yep. like, where do you draw the lines? Yeah. So... I told him he can have a phone when it's time to drive. That's good. But that's I when know, I got a phone. But, but yeah. I don't know if I'm going to win. You I see, know. I'm just... I'm you just... still have like six years. Yeah. 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 We got some time. That's hard. I know because I always think like, okay, what if they're 12 and they're spending the night at their friend's house and they want to call me? Because most people don't have landlines anymore. Yes. So what do they like? Go ask the kid's mom mm-hmm. if they can use her phone. I mean, I guess. Yeah. Sure. Um... Or if they need picked up from practice or something mm-hmm. like that. Okay, so 
I wanted to get into this, but we're running out of time, and I want to do the end of the podcast questions, but you're really into, like, juicing and healthy uh, eating and organic food. Yeah. And- I'm all in that. Juicing, farm-to-table, smoothies. I think but that tied into, like, my my time as an athlete and then the transition to this, this, this thing growing in my stomach yeah. that I then realized I was feeding, mm-hmm. like it was eating what I was eating. Yep. And so it just really just grew from there. And then in terms of just my mom's uh, history with health mm-hmm. and she's experienced pretty much everything under the sun and she's a great success story for turning your around, you're turning your life around through food. Okay. Right. And just, she's super healthy now at 69 years old, but you know, we didn't know she'd still be here at 60, you yeah. know? And so watching her and us as a family supporting her and this transition and then again now I'm feeding my son and I'm like well I don't want him eating this stuff if it's not good for him so yeah. I'm I'm all about quality and nutrients mm-hmm. right color green yellow red get it on your plate juice it if you don't have time to cook it throw it in a blender if you don't have time yeah uh, I, if I wasn't doing this I'd, I'd probably be doing something okay, in, that field. in that industry yeah because I'm just I'm all about health and wellness and and just getting people just healthy habits in uh-huh. terms of just lifestyle right yeah. everyone's got a different who they want to be and that's totally great and I'm just like but are we doing just those healthy habits to keep you there right right just in terms of whether it's just hydration sleep eating good the things that I learned helped me maintain that career as an athlete yeah it's is kind of like another passion place of mine. Well, yeah, and you did you did a juice cleanse with natural born juicers, right? Yeah, all the time. Yeah, they probably don't even know like how good of a customer I, I really right. How am. much how yeah. much they're really making <laughs> off of you? I go there once or twice a week and get like a green juice. Oh. Yeah, I go in and get the pressed juices. Yeah. I'm all about the lemon ginger cayenne shot. Oh yeah. I mean, I, and I really think there. that that's probably about the best price you're going to get. Well, and that's natural born. It it is a good price, and what I've noticed too, because I have a juicer. Yeah. I've got a Vitamix. It's still expensive to make at home. It's still expensive you to make buy at home. Everything. Well, and you got to prep it. Yeah. And when you start talking about full time jobs yeah. and full time kids, then it's like. I know. Wait a minute. What just happened to my day? Yeah. All right, I got to cut some things here so yeah. maybe I don't have time to go shop at the farmer's market and bring it home and wash it and <laughs> cut it and freeze it or whatever like I'm gonna let someone else make it yeah um yeah but no definitely love their their juice cleanses and I'm, I'm gonna probably do another one in January I need to I've never done one I'm terrified to you not, wanna do one to with not me? eat for a day you want <laughs> three you wanna, days you wanna do a three-day juice cleanse with me I don't know I don't know if my family could handle that keep in touch with me Lindsay because okay. I'm gonna do one I probably will start January 1st or January 2nd okay and and do it just for three days is it so hard no, it's actually not hard. That's just it. Everyone thinks it's hard. It's not. Because you're so full from liquids. Yeah. You're full. And because you're getting the nutrients from the food, you don't really feel okay. like you're starving. Like, yeah. you, I don't get hangry. Yeah. But I also don't get hangry too often anyways. Oh, I get hangry. I'm so getting close right now. I'm like, you're getting it like a snack time. Hour, like, I would offer yeah. you something, but oh, that's I'll, not that's not what you want. I might say, I might. I am actually going <laughs> to go run at the Y after this. Okay, might, so that you could justify I that. might have a couple of those yeah. to like carry me through because my blood sugar feels kind of low. We're talking about the Hershey Kisses that are sitting at yeah, the table. Right. All right, so what's one thing professionally or personally that you'd like to do that you haven't done yet? You know, it's, it's funny. That one actually is a tough one for me because yeah. I think I'm still figuring it out, right? Yeah. Like, I feel like professionally, having had the athletic career that I've had, like, no regrets, that's been great. And now as I'm transitioning into another professional career, because it's not like this is new, it's just different, right? Yeah. It's just, it's another uh, opportunity, but 
my thing is I just want to be a part of something where I can just be part of positive change, right? Where I can have a positive impact on someone's life. And I think one of the things I love most about the fact that I'm in the role that I'm in within this organization is I still have the relationships that I had with athletes. Like I love the fact that I see Michelle Carter as someone who was a mentee of mine Yeah. to see her grow because there was a thrower in Connie Price Smith who mentored me. And it's like, you know, so like when you kind of get to be part of that, like, so I think there's still a part of me where I see that as a, as something yet to still accomplish is like, how many athletes can I mentor or how can I help have a positive impact and effect, sorry, on um, another athlete coming in the sport to help them grow in a way where maybe I missed a step or whatever I've learned where I can just share the mistakes and the successes with kind of like the next generation of athletes. So there's still a part of me that's still passionate about that TPP program, right? Mm-hmm. There's still a, like that's the reason why that was my research project. Like there's yeah. just still a part of me where there's so I don't I don't know where that goes though. Well, there's lots of time to figure it yeah. out. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. I know. Yeah. Uh, if you had one message to send to the world, what would it be? Ooh, a message to the world. See, that's when it gets deep, right? If I if I had one message to send to the world, I would just encourage everyone just to have uh, a personal relationship with God. See, and I, what about people that don't believe in God? That's okay. Yeah, seek out. Yeah. Whatever that. Yeah, because I think there's so many folks that just miss that deeper connection in life. Yeah. That yeah, but to yeah, I, I, but then I was to each its own, right? But yeah. if I had that one message, like. That's, That's what's what, the most meaningful thing in your life. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I, I, I would not be where I am if it in life if it was not for my faith. Yeah. Yeah. What's an accomplishment you're most proud of? Ooh, that's a tough one. I think it's twofold. I think the one that's probably just the funnest for me is just becoming a mom. Yeah. I, I would have never thought that, though. Like, when you're young, you're, whatever, you see people floating around all over the place doing life however they do it, but... When I, I didn't know you could love someone that much. Yeah. Like, and that is the part that I think that I love. Like, at night, like, he and I, my next novel, I'm, you know, now I read kid books. Oh, We're sure. reading the book Wonder. So okay. my time, I'm reading Roar, the the women's health book. Uh-huh. And kid time, you know, we're reading this book Wonder um, that he just got. And so, like, I just enjoy, like, spending that time with yeah. him and just... I don't know. I can't remember. And you talked to mom. I can't remember what life was like before I was a parent. I actually don't know how what I did with my time. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize I had so much free time. I know. You know, and, and so, um, but I think that is just a super proud moment for me just to yeah. to be able to experience that and, and just just love him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, your time is never really your time anymore. It's not. I mean, I make, I make it a priority to get away and do other things but it's like when it comes down to it like those little people that are depending on me or, and I tell and you lose your identity a little yeah. bit I mean I know who I am but it when happens, I go places so. I'm Theo's mom matter of fact if yeah. I'm emailing with the teacher I don't even sign my name I just say Theo's mom yeah. right like <laughs> so they know who I am I know today <laughs> I was so frustrated with our three-year-old because he doesn't know how to make a decision right now and it takes 10 hours to pick out what to wear mm-hmm. and what to eat and I was just kind of getting a little bit crazy, but then yeah. I look at his cheeks and I'm like, oh. How can I be I mad at you? So right. <laughs> and so I after, I yelled and said some things I probably shouldn't have said as a mom. And then 10 minutes later, I looked at him and I said, I'm so sorry. 
I shouldn't have talked to you like that, you know, but it's just like a constant battle. It is a constant battle. Yeah. But and then the, but it's a joyous battle, right? Yes. Like you do. It's like you walk away from those moments, you're like, okay, I gotta do better. And you come back and you do better, you know. And it's always <laughs> the cheeks that bring me back. It's yeah. always the cheeks. Thank Um if you could have coffee or cocktail with anybody fun, who would it be? Oh, I think one of the, someone who I've I kind of always wanted to meet um, is Queen Latifah. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, and it's a, it's a fun one for me because I think since the time I was probably about fourteen, I've either been told that I look like her uh-huh, or I sound yeah. like her. And when she had her her TV show, this is because you know I'm dating myself, but uh-huh. Living Single, uh-huh. um, everyone was just like, so people still call me Queen. Oh, funny. Like, because they think I look or, you know, so I wouldn't mind like getting to know her a little bit more. Like if there's someone who I resemble this much or sound yeah. like so much and she's successful. I yeah. mean, like I wouldn't mind just and talked about like her life story and how she found her way to like where she is now. I mean, I don't know that if she ever started out wanting to be an actor uh-huh. or, you know, if just the music industry took her to TV, to acting, you know, I don't know. But I definitely think that, um... That's definitely someone who I love to like sit down and spend some time with. That's a really fun answer. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I always get excited when guests have fun answers. Uh, what is a nonprofit you like to support? Oh, I love to support the Oaks Academy. Okay. And oh, uh, is that where your son? And that's where my son goes to school. Yeah, yeah. But it's the concept of what what they've done with that school. It's not an old old school at all. Mm-hmm. Um, newer school, but they really have gone into areas of renewal. Mm-hmm. And that's where they plant the school. And they pride themselves on diversity. Racial, socioeconomic, like you know, and it's and it's faith based too. I yeah. mean, like, and so they really want to come into and they want to change a community from the inside out and change kids' lives. And so it's just for me, it's just a fun organization to support. Yeah, I've have some friends who send their kids there. Yeah. One last question. What was it? Oh, what's the best most recent book you've read? I think the current one um, that I'm reading, Roar. Okay. Um, and I love it because it talks about and and you know this especially as a background in running, but it talks about women and how we eat and our hormones and our life cycles Mm -hmm. and women shouldn't necessarily eat these fad diets that men follow Mm. because how we maybe need to eat might be a little different. And so I love that it approaches it from, I mean, it takes you through the whole life cycle of being an athlete or during pregnancy or pre-menopause, you know, menopause, post-menopause, which is interesting because nobody ever wants to talk about menopause or those types of things. And maybe what you can do dietarily to maybe combat some symptoms or help you like, like, because uh, it talks a lot about like you know if you are in heat and humidity in these different climates, like maybe you don't need all the gels that the guys do. Oh, sure. Maybe because the way your body is metabolizing or where you're at in your monthly cycle, yeah. it will should change maybe how you fuel your body. It's it, mind blowing for me. I don't know why this stuff is fascinating, but like yeah. Like <laughs> well, we know where you would be doing if you didn't work. You would know like, where, yeah. <laughs> Well, Aretha, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun, man. Coffee with Lindsay. Coffee with Lindsay. You just let me know when you're ready for that juice cleanse. Okay, I will. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, that wraps up this episode of All Have Another Podcast. Thank you for listening today. Thank you, Aretha and USA Track and Field, for having me down to the office and chatting with me today. You guys can find me on Instagram, lindsayhine626. You can find me on Twitter, at lindsayhine, and you can find me on Facebook. 
I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine where we also have a group. And I want to thank Prep Dish one more time for supporting this podcast episode. You guys go to prepdish.com slash another to get a free two-week trial of their services. And I want to thank Bissell Barkbath for supporting this podcast episode. Go to Bissell.com slash another to learn more and buy your very own bark bath. Use the coupon code another all caps to receive two bottles of free no rinse shampoo with your order. This coupon is good for a limited time only. Have a great Friday. Have a great weekend. And as always, I'll see you next Friday.